Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a DLF podcast. Um, this week I don't have a guest lined up. In fact, I was making a video for my YouTube channel and I realized it's very much more of a Crossroads episode, so I'm just switching it over, if that's okay. I ended up trying to summarize some of the things I think I've learned through making the Dynasty Crossroads, or at least the highlights of how to play Dynasty. Um, so I'm just cutting it up and putting it out as an episode, as like a palate cleanser before we get deep into why the Combine doesn't matter and rookie ranks and our next interview. Um, let me know what you think. Thanks very much. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once. What I found basically is that most people don't have a process divided into bullet points, but I think best when I go back and try to explain what I know and literally in a way that it can be bullet pointed. That's why I like making content. So I like making these videos because you can break it down into a simple step by step process. If nothing else, you can see the gaps in it. You can see where you're making leaps of logic. You can see where you're failing. And to realize that you're opening yourself up to the real world that's always going to crush you in the end. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I like the process. And while I don't have Dynasty bookended in three basic strategies that you can follow or not follow, what I do find is even the best players just tend to play. But there is common themes and actions that they take not just during different times of year, but in general, when they're playing in Dynasty, to try to apply to each individual decision as they go along. So I want to break Dynasty into different elements, like what is the game, Dynasty Fantasy Football, and talk about three basic draft strategies and how they filter down into active play on a day-by-day, week-by-week, season-by-season practice um, in as succinct and short a form as I can. Does that sound fun this week, this day? Whatever it is, let's try it. The quintessential difference between Dynasty Leagues and Redraft Leagues is that there is no other draft. You have the startup draft, and then you don't get to draft again apart from the rookie season where we have a rookie draft every year. Now, obviously, that's the main difference, but I think thinking about it in those terms, the startup draft or the rookie draft, takes away from the most important, crucial difference there is that you don't get to redraft. Literally, it's in the name, redraft or not to redraft Dynasty. And, and the rest of the game is about making up for the fact that you can't make up for any failings on your team or inability of your team to compete on a year-over-year basis. And it becomes less about identifying the players who are going to be breakouts this year or going to be top 12 or who the running back one is while we're still interested in all of that. And it's more about creating and maintaining a stable roster, uh, a stable and competitive roster. The way I've described it before is having... Uh, maintaining your points per game and trying to maintain your value which you use to change your roster as needed for the situation that you're in and if you deplete your value even if you're competitive and you win if your value goes away then you are in a rebuild or what we call a rebuild where you have to somehow over time through good moves or, ho- or perhaps some lucky moves with some of your league mates making bad trades and try to rebuild the value on your roster because that is where Dynasty runs from. It runs from the value on your roster. There are several ways to try to exploit the elements of Dynasty by trying to go one way or the other, just ignoring value or concentrating on it fully. So let's talk about that a little bit. But in Dynasty, I think the best way of summing up moves in general, the way of thinking about playing Dynasty in general is from my friend, 
I like to call him a friend, even though he hates me. Uh, Dynasty Outhouse Rush, Russ Fisher um, from the Dynasty Trades podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you definitely should. They are out downloading me right now, which is a sore spot, but it's an awesome podcast. And you should definitely listen to it. Um, so you trade for value and you draft for need. That's true in the startup, and that's true in trades during the startup. Essentially, you're trying to fill your roster for the things that you want or need on a year-by-year basis, but when it comes to any draft, a rookie draft or the startup, your primary thought is value. Is it going to be worth more in the future or worth the same or worth less? And you ultimately want to have more value later um, as much as possible, unless you're fully competing in the end game of a season, that's maybe the one time you take your foot off the brakes. People, again, the edges there are exploiting the extreme in any of those situations. So always having your foot off the gas works if you are constantly willing to rebuild in order to increase your chances of winning. The easiest year to win in Dynasty is the first year because if you take your foot off the gas from the start, because next year is definitely more easy to predict than the year after or the year after that, although some value trends are much easier to predict even than the next year's points. But still, then you have an edge in winning this year. And if you win the first year, then you pay for your next few years and you can afford to try and rebuild. And that's not to say that you're definitely going to have to be fully rebuilding because many players who are going to score the best points this year are still going to have value for the next year. So again, you try to exploit the edges. and That's where most of the strategies come in. Um, so the strategies begin from the draft. Let's think about the startup draft, and they can be best summarized by the different draft strategies that have been established in fantasy in general. So the draft strategies I'm going to highlight because I think they're the most relevant. Um, only one of them really counts as a strategy. If we're going to put a definition on the term, what is a strategy? There's only really one, and that's zero RB. And the one created by Sean Siegel, first written up, well, not created by, I know people that were playing that way before then, um, such as Jacob Rickroad, who we've talked about on my podcast before. That was basically one of the ways he tried to exploit best ball drafts. But Sean Siegel is the one who put it into the collective consciousness of the fantasy landscape when he wrote it up for Rotoviz. Zero RB, it's an active strategy that was worked out through theory, proven in practice, and the math backs it up. And that's the only draft strategy that really has all of those things going for it, to be clear. But um, essentially, you try to exploit a positional edge in that wide receivers tend to have longer careers, definitely longer value arcs, and a lower injury rate, although all of those things are more marginal than are currently in the collective consciousness. We think a running back's only going to be good for two years, whereas value arc is shorter. Many of the best running backs have almost the exact same on average number of seasons in the top 12. So it's a little exaggerated, but still, it, it still is there. Injury is more common at running back, less common at wide receiver. Tight ends, or the tight end, can provide a positional advantage that no one else can, if you're Travis Kelsey over the last few years, for example. And so they can be highlighted in the first five rounds. Now, there's an open debate about whether you can draft a running back in the first five or six rounds. Sean Siegel, um, in the initial article, said you had to not take a running back for six rounds. But in subsequent podcasts and articles, he has expressed that he didn't mean it wasn't zero RB if you did. If the running back one falls to the third round, Drafting him doesn't mean you're not drafting with a zero RB mentality. And I think that's where this, the concept of strategy starts to... The next strategy is kind of a counterpunch to uh, zero RB. It's not proven out in theory. I'm sure people have won this way. In fact, I've seen uh, people win this way. 
but it's not 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 nearly as justified as zero RB, but it's robust RB, which is where you draft nothing but running back. Essentially, there's not even an exact theory to it, but it's you go counter punch. If they're zigging, you zag and you focus heavily on the running back position. Get as many running backs on your roster as you can, especially before the dead zone. For example, when people start overdrafting running backs because there's a lack of running backs available that have any kind of upside which is kind of counterintuitive, but psychologically, people find it hard not to draft the best of what's left slightly ahead of ADP, if not significantly ahead of ADP, where their reasonable expectation is usually pretty well accounted for. And so you get a lot of running backs that are quote-unquote busts because they don't fulfill their expectations, or they fulfill their expectations and they were much lower than where they were drafted. Um, but Robust RB is a, a conscious way people can try and approach the startup draft or Dynasty in general. And I think all of these things are not just draft strategies. They can be the startup draft dictates how you are going to play in that league unless you rebuild your roster in a different direction. And so it's pretty important. The other strategy I want to mention to you is QBX, which is John Hogue's idea. I don't like it, but it is a significant strategy and it emphasizes some really important things in Superflex in that quarterback is never cheaper than in the startup draft, even in Superflex drafts. Now, over the last five years, we've increasingly drafted more quarterbacks inside the first two, three rounds in Superflex ADP, and so the market has adjusted for it the way it adjusted for late-round QB in redraft when J.J. Zacharyson published his manifesto? That makes him sound like a crazy person. His biopic? No. Now, when he explained to us that we were being silly about our quarterback value because Peyton Manning scoring more points didn't necessarily provide an advantage to a roster because those points are more easily replaceable by later quarterbacks. That's that. That's that. And But in Superflex, because of the lack of a secondary draft or any other draft, while two quarterbacks on average do come out producing at least one top 12 season, for example, in every draft class, that can often take a couple years and we are relatively rare that we're seeing top five quarterbacks coming out that regularly. In fact, the quarterbacks tend to come through in an era, or in a new era right now, where some great quarterbacks are coming out and providing positional advantage, but that doesn't happen relatively regularly. So if you want to replace quarterbacks in the in the rookie draft, it's very hit and miss, and, and it has a lot less consistent upside than if you draft the mediocre quarterback slightly higher than ADP is currently valuing them. John Ho goes too far, in my opinion, and because quarterbacks after like quarterback five or quarterback eight are still largely replaceable with those secondary tier quarterbacks, which tend to be more underdrafted and are increasingly more underdrafted, even though they haven't moved because the other quarterbacks are moving further and further up ADP. In a sense, we're making something like the running back fallacy that we've consistently made in redraft ADP, where we're overdrafting running backs so much because of the sensitivity to positional value that we have created a dead zone of quarterback. Be interesting to investigate that, actually. Anyway, the other strategy that you can start or play in Dynasty with or do a startup draft with is... I believe it comes from our very own Ryan McDowd over at DLF, and he created the term progressive struggle, which is where you go to the extreme of dynasty court values and focus value in the draft. Wide receiver, tight end, much like 0RB, um, but specifically you also focus younger players um, and players who have more years of expected value over time. So you're progressively struggling. You essentially, instead of playing it like a redraft player, which would be the other way uh, uh, of drafting in, and playing in Dynasty, but it's just re redraft. And um, 
you instead go the opposite way and you give up entirely on year one, the perhaps easiest year to predict and therefore perhaps easiest year to know if you're competitive and therefore try to win in a dynasty league by giving it up and not going for who's going to score more points, but who you think is more likely to have more years and more value over time. So you draft rookies insanely high, you focus draft picks, and you focus specifically on the wide receiver position again because of those injury rates. All right, so those are some draft strategies, and I think core theories on how to play Dynasty or core basis of where your roster is, and you can play and try and play Dynasty from that foundation. Now, notice all of them try to take advantage of two distinct things. Positional edges, i.e. things we know about positions that are true over time and relatively consistent. Zero RB, robust RB, positional advantage at the Superflex or QBX strategy, or value trends, which is actually trying to take advantage of market edges. Or in other words, edges that come from the psychology of your league mates, or at least the play of most league mates on average, if you look at DLF ADP, or value over time using keep trade cut. So positional edges and market edges are really the way that people try to maximize their advantage or their chances of doing better or worse in Dynasty. And there are various different strategies for doing the startup draft, which creates certain mentalities for how you have to play with those kind of builds. And you can also rebuild into any of those as you want. Now, I don't people prefer one or the other. Uh, or one of many. And you can also find out many different variants of all these different strategies or ideas. But I don't think it's necessarily bad to do one thing more or the other. If anything, the best strategy is to adapt to the draft that is presented to you when you do a startup draft. The startup draft is the most important and also least important part of Dynasty. It's the most focused. It's the most talked about. It's the most common way we measure how well people value other players. And yet, it's like 2% of actual Dynasty play. The vast majority of it happens after the draft, and I think a lot of content and plans on how to play in Dynasty tend to forget that fact. So let's dig into that a little bit more. So the key idea, whether you're doing robust RB or zero RB or progressive struggle or QBX or redraft mentality, which is the way I started out playing Dynasty, I think in most average leagues, playing it more like redraft is just the best way of carte blanche how do I play in Dynasty with my friends? Play it exactly like a redraft league. There are relatively few edges. You can adjust a little bit towards Dynasty ADP, for example, or just use Dynasty ADP with a redraft mentality. I want Devontae Adams and Tyree Cohen and Stefan Diggs. Well, look at Dynasty ADP. Oh, I can get those in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds instead of the first and second. So I'll trade back and get all of them. That's adapting a redraft strategy to a dynasty strategy. That's not just drafting them as if you're drafting in a redraft, but it is a smart way to play if you just convert it a little bit over to dynasty. Anyway, I think the core way of playing in dynasty, or the main line, if you like, of dynasty play, is to go from old to young and then old again. What do I mean by that? Players in general, and what the generic advice you'll mostly get is that you want to have old players, or you want to have good players, is how they'll phrase it, Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, um, Derek Henry, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, relative to peak careers, they're all in their peak career in terms of their positional edges, things we know about the positions. Most players who finish in the top 2012 at the wide receiver position 
are age 27 and the distribution backs that up. It's not like a couple of old guys are exaggerating the average. In that case, the average clearly represents a distribution. You relatively rarely and on occasion have a player under the age of 24 inside the top 12. Jamar Chase is an example. Uh, Waddle is an example. Chris Olave was an example this year. But the majority of them are well over the age of 24. In fact, the majority are around 26, 27, 28, 29. The good players. So you have these good players and you trade them for young players plus something so that you can get more young players later. Again, you're maintaining your points per game and your value. You're trying to take Devontae Adams and you're going to turn him into Chris Olave plus a draft pick. Because Devontae Adams is great and proven great over a longer period of time. Or Chris Olave was already in the top 12. No problem. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, and picks. The main problem with that is that it's fictional. I find even in an average or a mainly a mainstream dynasty league, if you like, even if the ADP or the draft ADP or however you want to measure it says Devontae Adams should be valued that way, and if just logically one of the great players of the at the premium position in Dynasty, probably should be really well valued. Stefan Diggs is awesome. Tyreek Hill is really fast. Devontae Adams is consistently phenomenal. Why wouldn't you? It's because we're all playing Dynasty, and we all know what you're trying to do, and we know that good player is still going to be good, and loweth less by the time this season ends. I'm not giving you Drake London right now for that. Instead, you have to add something to Devontae Adams to get to Drake London, which from a redraft mentality seems entirely backwards, Unless you've run through the whole process of what you're actually trying to do in Dynasty. You're not trying to get the best player. You're trying to get the best players you can while maintaining your value in a relatively predictable way for the future. And Drake London's got years left in him of being at least where he's valued or we expect to be more valued in the future. So is Garrett Wilson. So is Chris Olave. Devontae Adams is at his peak value. He's going to score more points next year. He's more predictably going to be great than any of those players. And he may have had and continue to have more upside than any of them as we see their careers play out. And it doesn't matter. Increasingly, no one will trade what they will trade for those young players as Devontae Adams, as he ages out and as we get scared of the cliff that happens at the end of a player's career. We just predictably know that has to happen because that's the way time works it might be four years but we know it's going to happen and we know these players who are younger have a higher chance of not being there in four years and because they're already proven pretty good in their rookie year we get to have that comfort that they might not be Devontae Adams ever but they will consistently be good and I don't have to worry about the value dropping off sooner this also brings out a, a, a a potential misstatement of the value of age because it's really about the value of good age production arcs and not good ages. Sky Moore, just because he's undervalued, isn't a great way to get rid of Devontae Adams. That would be a, a terrible decision, to be clear, because it's not about the age. It's about play catching players at the right point of their career. And if you want points, Devontae Adams, because of this very awkward dynasty feature that we're trying to maintain value, is a good target, but then it comes down to the time of year. Devontae Adams is probably easier to trade for right now if you think you're going to get your point or need his points next year or over the next two or three years. But identifying whether you're in that window or another window becomes another feature of Dynasty. Assessing your team situation is essential and also an area that brings in variance, which is where a lot of smart Dynasty players just game theory it out 
and go straight to only focus value all the time. But you can find an edge there by running to the extreme and saying, nope, I'm going to make a decision. I think my team's competitive right now, and Devontae Adams is going to be chief of this offseason. Then when we get in season, and he's scoring points again, and the teams that know they're, uh, they're competitive can start vying for him as well. And so I'm going to take that risk. It's all about risk management more than anything else. It's how much risk can I take, whichever direction I want to go. And again, some of the smartest players I've interviewed in the Dynasty Crossroads just never take that step. Always be winning. Always play value. Always play game theory. That doesn't necessarily mean you can't trade for older players or falling values because of their ages, but it's only when you think there are more positive outcomes from their declining value in the future, not necessarily their points. But again, this is about the way you've built your team and the way you choose to play in Dynasty. You can go one way or the other, or you can go one of five different ways that I've mentioned, but your team situation and making making decisions or not making decisions about where it's going to be in three months is an interesting area where you can find advantage or choose to let other people try to take more risk and you stock up more in value. Another way of adding value to your roster in order to maintain that while still searching for points per game another way. So all that leads to one key piece of information, I think, and I've taken most of the best players that I've talked to have already known this for years, but instead of being willing to keep hoping for players the edge right now and pretty much the best edge in dynasty in all these different facets is being willing to be the first to move the fastest now again maintaining value maintaining points per game and you're going to change it based on the strategy or team situation which invokes a certain strategy on your team but deciding and recognizing that chris Olave is a top 12 wide receiver he's going to be top 12 in dynasty by week eight instead of waiting till the end of the season is crucial at this point. Knowing that Drake London was a top 12 wide receiver by week 8 turned out not to be true, but we now think that he probably is, and any drop in value because of the way the second half of the season went is probably a lie. Debates rage on, especially on my timeline, about Christian Watson and Traylon Burks. Um, and that brings up another feature of this. What? But that's an underlying point. You're trying to be faster to make the best decision of value in the future. And that's especially when recognizing when players at the start of a good career age arc um, is crucial. Or at a decline, for that matter. But declines don't really happen. Players just kind of stop. They don't decline as just stop being relevant. It's more of a cliff than a gradual slope downwards, but that's another conversation. So playing that way is key, and I think that's a core and the main line of Dynasty. You have good old players, or good old quote-unquote players. You want to trade them into young players plus, but the counterpunch to that is Dynasty players know to value age, and it can be awful difficult to trade for them at that kind of pace. And so a way around that, and where sleepers and values come into Dynasty, is to try and gain... Who is not making a fast enough decision about these players that are not by consensus and not clearly already on a good arc? So you look at Jacoby Myers. He's a little further into his career. He's undrafted. But the last two years have been a big surprise. Do we value that draft capital still? Does New England? And so you turn the game play out. If that second round pick he's worth right now actually undervalued, and so I'm adding value and points to my roster at a relatively consistent rate, or how much do I value that draft capital? Or, back to rookies... Christian Watson and Drake London, but 
and, and Traylon Burks, both drafted significantly above below Wilson and Alave, and in fact Drake London, who is noticeably lower and probably the best value of the bunch right now. But Christian Watson started off really high at the start of the uh, start of the off season and has fallen much closer to Traylon Burks as the season has gone on. Maybe those two players had better seasons than the market's currently valuing them at. So if I trade for them, I'm adding points, I'm adding value. I've got a player at the very start of a good career arc that people are undervaluing. This is most noticeable in uh, for me. Um, Tyler Boyd's rookie year. He had over 600 or 700 receiving yards. It looked like a really good first season, especially for the role that he was playing. And he dropped 10 rounds in ADP. And I just traded for Tyler Boyd in literally every league. Now, Tyler Boyd was never what we hoped Drake London or Christian Watson or Traylon Burks or Wilson or Olave was going to be. But the value was so good after an uh, inexplicable to me drop in his ADP that it was worth it. Same with why I'm always talking about how undrafted free agents matter. I've even managed to get him to put it on the DLF t-shirt. Look at that. And because people consistently are nervous about draft capital, and so they're not willing to notice or accept that players are on a good path for future value, with some downside, maybe with some lack of upside, maybe with the fact that the NFL wants to get rid of them whenever they can. But Adam Thielen and... um, Stefan Diggs with a fourth round pick, and these players who are lower drafted or have less draft capital are often psychologically or market edgedly, perhaps, trying to take advantage of that market edge that people know lower drafted players are meant to be bad for the future. You can often find value there, and that's one of the ways I have consistently tried to find value that doesn't exist in the market, but should, because we know consistently that there are some trends that if players do those things, have a certain target share, hit certain market share, finish in certain points per game ranks, then even despite their draft capital, Austin Eckler is another good example, they are still likely to have a better career than they're currently rated at in ADP. So this is where sleepers and values come in and where we're always trying to trade from. It's not because those are the ways we win. Like in redraft, sleepers and values are players we expect to immediately be difference makers on a roster that are not valued there. Dynasty, it can also be much more about the market is just undervaluing them. So I'm adding more points for the value that they currently cost. Or I'm adding more future value for the points they currently cost. And and there's just another way of exploiting sleepers and breakouts and values. And they're similar things, but we can target them in slightly different ways. And again, I can't highlight the bit the, this hard enough. One, move as fast as possible in both directions. The worst way you could possibly play Dynasty, the worst edge you could imagine and try and take advantage of, in my experience, and to a man, everyone on the podcast knows this to the point that it's not really worth them explaining, don't decide that player that did bad did good, actually. Now, how you define good and bad is part of the debate of who's actually on a good career path and who's not on a good current career path and who actually did well. And I enjoy those debates. But there are some indicators that are clear. And even though there will be exceptions, and we hope for them to be more exceptions because we want more good players to emerge from nowhere, that's how we find value. But players who do bad in their rookie season despite being available and healthy just don't bounce back. Laquan Trabwell, Sky Moore this year, if they don't do something despite being healthy, available with draft capital in their rookie year, don't be the person who thinks they're going to add value and points by waiting longer 
Because in Dynasty, the market is fairly sharp. It has a fairly good grasp of what actually measures good and bad in this regard, even though we continually debate it on Twitter for each and every player, it seems. Every bust has pretty much been accurately predicted by the rookie season ADP drop. And to the point that Devontae Adams, one of the few exceptions of players who had bad early seasons and then became Devontae Adams, their value in ADP never really dropped as much as Tyler Boyd's did. Like, it, it dwindled, but it did not see the steep decline that others did. If you're following the advice that the idea that everyone else playing Dynasty is an idiot, generally, most people are paying to the same attention to the same information that you are. And in fact, the group tends to have a pretty good reading on if a player did well or badly. The Tyler Boyds of the world are really rare. Really rare. That's why I was really excited about it. Um, and it could have gone wrong for me because the group is more often than not right. Right. And so, it's hard for me to say that other people are right. But that all brings me to one way I've learned from my podcast guests and try to adapt the way I play Dynasty. Now, again, you can play with any different strategy. But instead of thinking about it going from old to young and young again, old young and then old again yeah that's the way i said it and um, instead i changed that order around a little bit a lot of the times when i'm playing in good dynasty leagues not always again it depends how i've constructed my team so instead of the mentality of saying trade your old good players for young good players because i think the mark most people in your league know who the good young players are even though they disagree and debate it constantly they have a pretty good idea they have a pretty good idea of how to value as if they're good even if they're not you know really in on it themselves so instead of going old to young and old again i try to go young to old and young again that that's just a word salad right think about it this way when i look at my roster and i'm thinking what i want to do depending on my team situation ideally the person i'm thinking about trading is young and on a good value arc so i have jalen waddle on a roster really happy to have jalen waddle on a roster but He's the most tradable for the most value, and I can go and get some of those elite older players and actually expect a plus. So instead of taking Devontae Adams and trying to build my roster for the future, I'll take Jalen Waddle and trying to build in to Devontae Adams or Cooper Cup or whoever I think is a value in that old good category right now with extra picks added to them so that I can take more shots to, to either trade or hopefully hit on more good players so that I can start the cycle over again. Not quite that good, but we take what we can get. So the difference here is instead of looking at my roster and thinking, who can I con into thinking that Devontae Adams' points are worth me having extra value, instead I legitimately lose the market to say, Jalen Waddle is legitimately higher valued. I want those points. Can I have the value added to the end of it so that I mitigate my risk? This is all a fancy way of saying give me a second or a first round pick, depending on the trade I'm going for, and take more shots in the future. Because the trades should be balanced. That's the other part I found about playing in Dynasty Leagues. The more I do and the better a league I get in, if you can no longer rely on I'm going to make a trade that they lose. I mean, you get those trades, and by all means, if you can get them in your league, go win. But one, it's not a fun way to... I, I don't find fun in knowingly taking advantage of another player who doesn't quite understand the vague or whatever else but the other thing is your league mates are going to stop you eventually if you're in a good enough league they're going to be like no i know not to give you a pick with Jalen waddle to get Devonte adams stop telling me about his points per game it's not a thing um 
And so they're going to, like I said, that becomes a problem with the main line in Dynasty is that your link mates know at which point. Sometimes there's an edge in that uh, Tyree Kill or Stefan Diggs are still well valued up there. Or AJ Brown is in the tier with CD Lamb and Jalen Waddle, but might be a little undervalued just because he's like a year or two older, which is kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. But for the most part, people aren't going to make that mistake so that you get your cake and can eat it too. So instead, I'm willing to give them the cake so fairly. I want the older player with a similar points per game expectation expectation and value. And I will take my risk in the rookie draft. Now, another way of taking advantage of that exact same way of playing is being someone more like Dynasty Outhouse or Rush Fisher from the Dynasty Trade Addicts podcast. He knows he can turn those pluses into other things with trades. I'm not particularly the strongest trader. And so while I will try to trade after the fact, I will try to trade my pluses or tear up or various other methods of improving my Dynasty roster, especially for in-season competition. Mostly, I'm trying to get more chances to take shots in the rookie draft and just betting I can hit above av- at an above average rate in those rookie drafts. That's where I take my risk, because you have to take risk somewhere if you want to try and make big swings with your roster. Again, the other smart way of playing in Dynasty is sticking strictly to game theory and always just playing value, and it probably works the most consistently. I just don't find it as fun. There are some logical traps we get into here, by the way. I just want to kind of, hi- as I'm backing out this topic, I do I, I want to highlight some logical traps we can get ourselves in, or ones that I found myself getting in. For example, um, if you've traded primarily through a zero RB roster or zero RB mentality, that's where your team's built. Um, it's the way I think I find the majority of high level, high analyst players or statistical level players actually prefer to play Dynasty, like. Um, J.J. Zacharyson was on my podcast recently, name drop, um, and he mentioned that he's just never going to be the type of dynasty player to trade for a young running back. And I think that's what the, that alludes to. That's just not the way he builds his team. It's relatively rarely the best way of going about it. But here's a logical trap I've ended up in. Recently, we've been talking about how Kenneth Walker and Travis Etienne are clear dynasty cells because they're highly ranked young but not that elite tier, and so you can find positional advantages in knowing how positional trends at the running back position work, i.e. they're just very clear dynasty cells based on ADP. And yet talking to people on the dynasty grind and in the Discord and in the YouTube comments here, the trades just aren't there that meet that ADP. Again, because the market is actually pretty smart. So, I can say trade ETN and Walker for Chubb or CMC+, Plus. And per ADP and per keep trade cut, you can get those done and are really good ideas. But it doesn't happen. So where can we find our advantage? Now, I'll just point out, ideally, trades should cross positional lines. You're just going to find more good trades by trading or running back for a wide receiver and vice versa. But there you go. All right. So if you're a zero RB roster and you're playing the league that way and you're in league two or three or four or right after the startup draft, trading for Kenneth Walker or Travis Etienne is actually a good idea if you've built through that mentality because they are young, good running backs who are not going to be CMC or Nick Chubb of the future, but they are ranked that highly, but often you'll find in your league they're not valued that highly. So if you have a true zero RB team, stud wide receiver core, good tight end, great quarterbacks, especially if it's super flex, 
then trading a, a, the 106 to the 112 for either of those running backs is a really good idea for 2023 because they're going to score points and we think they're going to be top 12, even a reasonable expectation, not CMC top 12, more of a Joe Mixon top 12, but still they are young. They will uh, more than likely to hit that threshold. And then it becomes about your risk of either of them doing it. I actually have a lot of risk built into my Kenneth Walker, Travis EDM ranking because I, I think they should. But I, I'm less convinced of it than some, is the honest truth. But still, that is a reasonable expectation. And the 6 to the 12, Kenneth Walker is easily a walk-off win. Now, the ADP and the trade value suggests that you should get twice or three times that amount, which is why he's a clear dynasty sell. But if you're not finding that in your leagues then you can, even on a 0RB mentality, and that 0RB mentality trait locks you into running backs sell, running backs bad buys. But if your roster is built as a 0RB roster, then trading a late first plus an older wide receiver or Devontae Adams or something else that makes up that value but isn't quite those first round picks because they're declining in value, to get a young, good running back is actually a good move. It's a logical trap I've put myself in a number of times. Trading for the young running back is not my thing either, but if my team is truly in a zero-RB manner, built in a zero-RB mentality, trading a late pick for a running back can legitimately work. Whereas the reverse can also happen. If you build through a robust RB draft or a robust RB team, then trading your late first plus an aging or good running back or trading one of those good young running back, good older running backs for a later first to try and take a swing wide receiver, especially in this year's draft, the mid second, mid first round pick could create a really strong wide receiver hit is actually a good mentality. But because you've built your team or you tend to build your teams thinking about running back, you don't want to trade that Nick Chubb or the that CMC into the mid first round of uh, the 2023 class when actually that's the type of roster where it would be advantageous. Again, it depends exactly how your team is built and exactly what situation your team's in, whether any move is good or bad, and you trade for need, you draft value, and that comes into play as well. But I think you can often get locked into a mentality of thinking, I'm a 0RB guy, therefore I don't like running backs, when in fact you should be looking for where you can get running backs. That's the whole idea of that strategy getting them late and hitting on them. If it's a dynasty, it's no longer about hitting on those late round running backs. It's about looking for those values of undervalued in your league, young running backs that you can try and exploit or trying to hit up running back in the rookie draft yourself. And the reverse is true if you're more of a, uh, more of a robust RB drafter or a, or a QBX drafter or a progressive struggle drafter, trying to take advantage of points when it's getting undervalued because of age or some other factor that you can exploit because you've stocked your team with value. So one of the things I've noticed about Dynasty and almost everyone that I get to this subject with on the crossroads is pointing out that if you think about your teams in a certain way, it can often lock you from actually building a better roster in the future because you think about teaming. We're really good at teaming. I'm 0RB. I hate running backs. No, you're 0RB, so you look to put all your value and get your wide receivers or tight ends and quarterbacks locked in, and then you look for edges to find running backs. That's the whole game. So you are most interested in trading into Walker or ETN or trying to get the 101. Or, if in the other reverse, if you've heavily focused running back and your team's built that way, 
You should be really interested in trying to exploit down misvaluations or bad valuations of wide receivers or just good upside plays at the wide receiver position. But because you're a robust RB drafter, you don't like wide receivers. Now, it seems like a small point, but I found myself locked in this mentality, depending on how my team's built, a number of times. Like, no, I'm putting my value in quarterback. I don't want that running back. But my team's built in a way where the running back would really help it for next year, in a way that maintains my value and increases my points per game. Why would I not do that? Okay, one more thing. Um, There is an elite tier of players in Dynasty that are almost untouchable. If you get them, it's almost impossible to trade them away. Um, because of their value, um, unless you are trying to rebuild. Um, and you can almost describe the state of Dynasty by how many players at each position are in that tier of value. Right now, the quarterback position, we have at least five quarterbacks that I would say are locked in, almost untradeable unless you're trying to rebuild. You can always trade anyone any time you like, but you're normally trying to fix your roster in other ways if you're trading them. The running back position, we have no one currently in that tier but I can't say how exact, how good we are at doing this. Bajon Robinson is going to be in that tier, presuming no fatal injuries or no close to, no serious injuries or some unexpected reality where he chooses a different career path before the season starts. Um, so right now we have none. We expect to have at least one by the end of this draft season or at least the end of next season. So we're in a low running back era right now. At the wide receiver position, we have two players. We have Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. They're the only two that approach that category. The tight end position, we currently have none. Some people would put Kyle Kyle Pitts in that category. For the last few years, Travis Kelsey has existed there by himself. Zachary wants to point out that Mark Andrews should be in that category, but there are questions about the direction the team's going to go, and that knocks him out of it right now, I think, for most Dynasty players. George Kittle would be in it, but he got hurt. And that's why he's a good edge in ADP. But his value isn't there. So right now we have no tight end, but a debate about whether Kyle Pitt should be in that tier. So essentially we have four players across all positions that have that elite level of value. And the whole game is to have as many of those as possible without your roster being trash underneath it. All right, I'm closing it up. I would say the key part about Dynasty is do not think about the rookie draft as a way to build your roster. I don't think many people start Dynasty thinking that way, but I think some fall into it. And don't assume hits in a rookie draft, even though we can consistently show we get this many running backs or that many wide receivers. In the startup draft, you can be relatively sure of not completely fouling up your team through the first 10 rounds. In a rookie draft, you can literally do the best work possible and walk away with nothing. The rookie draft is not a way of building your team. It's about taking shots to get value and points for the future. But they are the most risky thing in Dynasty, and and while they are the currency of Dynasty, they should be the most speculative. If we're actually talking about a sophisticated market here, which we are not, they would be the high return, low uh, high risk, high reward type assets that you're gambling on, and you should never gamble more than you think you can afford to lose. It is a slightly different conversation than the first three picks, especially when we're talking about running backs. Wide receiver, even a top one wide receiver is a little bit more of a gamble than you can safely say is an annuity or a savings bond. It, 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 it's putting money down on the blackjack table. That's what wide receiver is in a rookie draft. Anyway, 
Um, do not build through the draft. Consider game theory. How many positive outcomes in either direction of this decision are there? Multiplying by the probabilities. If you don't want to go that far, how many different directions could this end up being positive to me versus negative to my team in terms of value and points per game? Game theory is really useful tool for thinking through a trade or thinking through dynasty decisions in general. And don't get locked into the mentality of how you want to build your roster or how you have actually built your roster. If you're a robust RB, you should be looking for ways to get wide receivers. And if you're zero RB, you're looking for ways to add at the running back position. You don't necessarily have to add to it through value. You don't have to get valuable wide receivers and running backs. But you do have to find ways to try to exploit that position after you've initially built your team. All right. Um, yeah, those are some of the things I learned. I don't know how long this video is going to be. Probably probably way too long. Um, but I find it really useful to try and talk it through. And I think some of these things get underlooked or underrepresented or just they're easy to forget. Um, Adam Harstead um, himself has heuristics for a reason. There are just some good things you should try to keep in mind, always making any decision when playing in a type of fantasy football. And I find trying to break it down into some sort of bullet point process useful for myself. Hopefully it is for you too. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you try to play Dynasty or if I didn't touch on a particular way to play Dynasty that I should add. Or someone else I should interview for the Crossroads because I'd be really interested to talk to them and learn new things. Uh, thanks very much and I'll see you in the next video. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.